You're listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast with service members from across the military sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno. Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week. And why are you hearing this right now? Well, because we are going to release a bonus episode this week. Yeah, a second one, just because we have some stories that we don't always get a chance to tell on a weekly basis, and some of these other ones really resonate with our listeners. So we wanted to take the time to offer you guys a bonus episode, two for one, this week. Before we get started, just a reminder, follow us on all the social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hazard Ground at Hazard Ground Podcast. Keep leaving those Apple reviews. They are getting better. They are getting more consistent, and it's certainly helping us grow this show. And don't forget about our promotion with Amazon on our website, hazardground.com. Go to hazardground.com first, click on the Amazon button, you do all your normal shopping, and we'll get a percentage of what you guys spend, and then we donate it right back. So we appreciate you guys joining us, we appreciate you being part of the Hazard Ground community, and now on to a bonus episode this week. And joining us now is a retired CW3 from the U.S. Navy who has over 22 years of experience, all of it inside the Navy SEAL community and DevGrew. He has over 10 deployments, most of them to Afghanistan, elsewhere around the world as well. And he is the president and founder of Military Mobility. That is an organization that works with veterans and helping integrate them back into society through teams and uh, ideas of togetherness and physical activity. And he is Brian Rivera joining us on the Hazard Ground podcast. Rib, welcome, man. Good to talk to you. Wow, that's quite an intro, man. Thanks so much. (laughs) I really appreciate being here. No, absolutely. Listen, a a 20-plus year career inside the seals is nothing to shake a stick at. Uh, and so you have a lot of, of experience that I think a lot of our audience is going to be uh, excited about, but we also have a connection through a company called Killcliffe. Uh, we've spoken about those guys a lot. In fact, we interviewed John Timar earlier on the hazard ground podcast. He's, uh, you know, the COO of Killcliffe. And so, uh, I think it's great that you're working with, with that type of organization. For those who don't know, Killcliffe is a is a energy drink. Uh, it's founded by a Navy SEAL, a former Navy SEAL, and and uh, just a great company. And and those are real, really solid guys. So I'm glad that we have that in common. Yeah, you know, what? I I really can't say enough about them. Uh, they uh, I, I got put in touch with a, a, a gentleman I went I went to buds with, uh, Chris Irwin, great guy. Um, he heard about what I was doing with military mobility and said, Hey, I want to connect you guys. So I, I linked up with with JT and a number of the other other folks there and we really just hit it off uh they're they've been from the start super supportive uh just open arms to to help us out and to help us grow it's really meant everything um and uh you know a few times a year we we run their Killcliffe experience which is really cool trips it's a way to thank uh some of the bigger donors that they get for the navy seal foundation some other other purposes um, and a, a way to uh, keep some of the relationships uh, going for collaboration as Killcliffe continues to grow. So it's a, a lot of fun. We're looking at a, a dog sledding trip uh, this March up to Alaska. So that's oh, wow. Be pretty cool. Yeah. Outstanding. All right. So 20 plus years in the SEALs. Um, but I heard that, uh, I, remember, I remember reading that, that you couldn't get into the Navy when you first tried, right? You're right. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up in New Jersey um, along the beach down in South Jersey. Uh, not much to do out there. So we were in the water, me, my brother, my friends constantly. So I was always surfing and, uh, you know, free diving. Um, we, you know, I kind of blame bad TV 
for some of this stuff, you know, you got a right. uh, uh, karate kid had, had Mr. Miyagi, you know, and uh, all, all these guys, Van Damme's got some dude dropping coconuts on his, on his ribs or something. Um, and, and my father's an awesome, awesome guy, um, but not in that sort and in, in very different ways. So I had to go out there. It's like, well, I, you know, I want to be this, this warrior growing up. I kind of, kind of had a feeling from a, a pretty young age. I, I got a hold of a, a Reader's Digest article uh, about Patea, um, and which happened in 89. Mm-hmm. And John Connors had passed away. Um, he was a brand new SEAL that was at SEAL Team 4. And the story really just hit me, even as a, a, I, I forget how old I, I was, maybe 12 years old or, or something, 10 years old. And the way they described John, he was working construction, he'd come home, he's like running these long runs and doing all this stuff. And um, after he passed away, there was a, a reporter at the footsteps of the parents' house. And she said, you know, I think he was a Naval Academy guy, if I'm getting it right. But, you know, your son was so bright and he did this and he did that. Why would he want to be in the military? And the mother said, if you have to ask that question, you won't understand the answer. And it, it just really hit me even from that young age. And I said, all right, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL and I'm going to SEAL Team 4. And that's what I ended up doing. And Team 4 was my, I got my first pick and I got to go there. So I feel pretty privileged for that. Um, but yeah, so I was in the water all the time. We got a hold, me and my buddy got a hold of some scuba tanks. Uh, wanted to learn how to dive, zero instruction, went out to the open water. You know, we just send, I don't know how deep we went, 80, 90 feet, blowing my eardrums out. <laughs> um, you know, we, we used to, uh, we used to steal girls like the asthma inhalers from their, uh, in high school from the lockers. Cause you mm-hmm. know, it makes you, makes you open up your lungs and hold your breath longer. So we would take a couple puffs of that, go down, do some free diving, pass out underwater. Be like, holy crap! Okay, probably not do that. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, this seems like it's all a bad idea in retrospect. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, then you know, it, it, it's what do they say? Uh, it, adventure is the respectful pursuit of trouble. I've never heard that, but it makes a ton of sense. I was, uh, I'm more of a necessity is the mother of invention kind of guy, you know. So. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it was. It was really all about pushing pushing the limits. Um, out there. And I, I think it had something to do with um, growing up in Jersey is I wouldn't trade it for anything in the, in the world. Um, you're kind of in the shadow of, of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just creates this, it's this kind of a rough, vicious environment, but at the same time, people are so loyal and giving and um, you know, it, it, it creates a grit. Um, it really does. So I think, um, all the time I, I spent in the water and uh, I also played ice hockey fiercely growing up from a very young age through the end of, end of high school. Um, I think those mainly those two qualities are, are some of the, the biggest contributing factors that led to my mm-hmm. success in training and, and, and all that. And just having that, you know, resiliency, that ability to, to, to bounce back. Um, but yeah, I was as far as my ears go and that's why I couldn't get in the Navy. Um, constantly ear infections, um, just all the time, you know, just oozing crap and it's not, um, I love the water. It, it definitely is therapy for me. Uh, but my body, uh, really didn't like, um, a lot of times being in there. I, I ended up, I had, um, tubes as a kid, I guess, you know, it's, it's pretty common for kids to get chronic ear infections. They'll put tubes in there. Yeah. Man. I had tubes in there. And then after they came out, 
I, I think however my eardrums healed up, it was just ended up being paper thin because I would rupture my eardrums more times than I can count. Um, and, you know, I just got a hole in my eardrums. It happened at, at Bud's a bunch of times and just, you know, you just got cold water just rushing into your head, you know, with the dizzy and vertigo and, and all that stuff. So it, it kind of goes on and on from there. Kind of crazy. Uh, and, and when you went to um, get into the Navy, like none of this prohibited you, all these, these conditions with your ears and everything else, they didn't just medically disqualify you from the jump? Well, um, so I, I, I tried coming in right out of high school. And uh, I guess to, to back up for a second, I, you know, want to be a, a team guy so bad. I, I had researched and found everything I could at the time about it, which really was nothing, um, which is almost helpful for, you know, buds itself. Nowadays, guys know so much, it's, it's almost daunting. Um, but I was in the, the Naval Sea Cadets. It's essentially a ROTC type program mm -hmm. where you uh, like a, a weekend a month i'd go up to earl naval base uh and we'd we'd hang out up there um and you do different drills and it afforded me the opportunity of, of when and if i joined the navy you would get the rank of e3 um right away instead of being an e1 because you've done all these kind of basic military requirements and, and what have you um and i got to go out to san diego when i was 15 my first trip ever to California, and I got to go to boot camp there. Um, and that's where they used to have an actual Navy boot camp. It's now only up in, in Great Lakes, but got to go through boot camp there. Um, you know, get tear gassed and all that kind of stuff. And it's um, it, it, it was fun. So you're going through with a lot of, um, and you still had to go through normal boot camp when you join the military. Uh, but I was prepped and ready to go. High school ended. Tried to join. They're like, no, your your ears are too bad. I mean, you know, forget even the SEAL teams. You can't even join the military. Um absolutely heartbroken uh because of that really didn't know what to do with myself my whole life had been focused just about that um so i i turned to my other two loves which were really surfing and rock climbing uh none of which you know i knew how to make a, a living off of at that point in time um so i pretty much started living out of my van um <laughs> Drove across, you know, had quite an experience for uh, a few years out in California and, and Utah. Um, worked as a, a climbing guide for a little bit in, in Zion National Park and was just making my way along the, the California coast. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I look back on it and, and this can almost be a theme, I think, with a lot of people's lives, mine in, in particular, you're so focused on these goals and wanting to accomplish them, but there's always going to be these obstacles uh, in the way and how you overcome the obstacles. And sometimes, you know, Hey, you get derailed and off track and you can never, never kind of recoup. Um, and, and I was, you know, fortunately, and it's, I really feel fortunate in my life for everything I've been able to accomplish and, and the goals I've achieved that I've set for myself. They may have taken longer than I've wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's one of these things where as I look back on it, man, I, I cherish that time from 17 to I was almost 21 coming into the military. I really wouldn't trade it for anything in the world to have that kind of, you know, buck wild kind of time as a just civilian young kid to kind of explore a bunch of different things and have these misadventures and and one of the biggest things was I, I think I gained a, a maturity out of it. Uh, by and large, I, I feel I was pretty mature and adult-minded for you know most kids my age. Um, but it really helped me as I as I did come into the military. 
um, seeing these other guys who were making these kind of same stupid mistakes at, you know, that younger age, you know, it, it, it feels like there's a, a world of difference at that time, right. Between 18 and 21 or something. And there, and there kind of is. Um, and, you know, but just being on my own, uh, we had, you know, a number of, of, of surfers from Jersey had tried to quote unquote, make it out in, in California. Um, and always kind of came back home. They'd been out there for a couple months or, or whatever. Um, but that wasn't going to be me. I was, I was, you know, I wasn't giving up. And I remember times of, you know, I'm, I'm living on the beach in, in Malibu, um, having to go into to Hughes market, sorry, Hughes, um, you know, and, and steal some food here and there. I'd grab a shopping cart and, you know, get some bakery items and kind of snack on it as I'm, I'm going along had, you know, absolutely like zero money. And you're, you're looking at, you know, Kid Rock and Pam Anderson in the, in the aisles out there, but you're just trying to get enough fuel to go out surfing, um, you know, really living for the day. Um, and, you know, inherent to that was <laughs> kind of these tactics that came, you know, about where I had a rotation of different grocery stores I'd go to. I'd never want to go to any one store too much, um, you know, one, because I felt bad about what was going on, but, I, you know, I was in this kind of bind in this tough situation. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just kind of, you know, you learn mm-hmm. to survive, and get, get creative. And I think that helped with some of the, you know, more low visibility things. It was the beginning of something for, uh, for my career in a way. Right. What, uh, what was your experience at Bud's like? I know you said you had, you tried to do some research on it and there wasn't a lot available. Do you feel like in retrospect, it was easier that you didn't know what was ahead or some guys like to know what is ahead. So where did you sit? Yeah, I do. Um, um, you know, probably the biggest thing I found out about, I'd read all the Vietnam books and it's funny now with everybody, you know, writing their books and doing their stuff and Hey, each their own and, and, you know, good on everybody. Um, I, I, I'd gotten a hold of everything I could as a kid. So I was thirsty for that type of knowledge. Um, so yeah, I'd I'd read all these Vietnam books. Um, and, and what ties into this, I'll, I'll go back to that, that visit I had out to San Diego. Um, I was there, I was with my, you know, my parents took me out, and we were visiting an old town, San Diego, and they had this uh, cigar store called Rancine and Laramie. I went in and I was like, you know, it's just a cool kind of eclectic store. I'm checking it out. And off on the side in this bookcase, they had all these awards. And there was this book, Navy SEAL book, Men in Green Faces by Gene Wentz. And I, I wanted to get a copy. And so I brought it up to the counter. And this, this you know, old, tall guy, distinguished with the gray hair behind this. He's talking to me. He's like, yeah, you want to be a SEAL? And then, yeah, I'm telling him about it. Well, he takes me back to that side room, sits down with me, starts telling me some stories. Well, he was Gene Wentz. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he, you know, autographed copy, writes it for me. And, you know, this is the old days. This is, I don't know, early 90s or whatever. Um, we exchanged addresses and he kind of became my pen pal. And I mean, this guy's awesome, man. Um, so we started writing back and forth. Um, I was telling him about my ears and he really encouraged me. Hey, go, go get the college education. You know, most likely this isn't going to work out for you. Um, and he was very realistic about setting things up at the same time, you know, keeping me a, a bit hopeful. Um, and yeah, super valuable with that. And, you know, he didn't share any secrets about buds, kind of kept it high level again about, you know, um, teamwork and all that. Um, but when I eventually did show up, um, you know, I didn't really know what was going on from one day to the next. Um, you know, I had a boat over my head. Like, I guess I'm carrying it. <laughs> if we're in the water. Yeah. I guess we're going to swim. Um, and, and now these guys come in and, um, you know, it, it, I'll just jump to when I was an instructor 
um, from 04 to 07, did uh, classes 250 to 270, and had you know one one trainee. It was that point in the day, you know, they're they're further along in training where it's like, okay, what questions do you got? You're like being cool with them, and he's like, how do I get to and, and names this one team, you know, at at one of the, the tier one command that we have in Navy, and it's like, huh, hey guys, just slow down and enjoy the process, right? You know, it, it, you just see that a lot of people they just want to have this kind of label, thinking that it's gonna, I don't know, bring them some level of notoriety and it's just going to be they're going to be an easy street like once on this it's going to be set and it, it's really not like that at least it hasn't been from from my experience you know it's 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 built every day it, it's built on your reputation um it's built on the, the friends you keep and you know just who you are as a, a whole um i've never been and and my crew really wants to rest on our our laurels um you know, I basically wake up each day feeling like I haven't done shit. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of what keeps me going every day. I mean, some days, man, I wish I could be like, yeah, I've done all this awesome stuff. Aren't I great? Like, no, I kind of feel like, you know, every day I'm like, crap, I got to crush it today bigger than I ever have yesterday, you know? Um, and I think that really, in, in a way, um, just to segue into some of what we've been doing with military mobility, um, what I've been seeing by and large with the a lot of veterans when they're getting out, it's this settling for something. And it, it doesn't matter what job they were doing in the military. You don't have to be a specialist or that, like all jobs are important. Um, and you're part of this bigger team and, and, you know, it's Maslow's hierarchy needs, you know, sense of belonging, contribution and accomplishment. And, you know, you're in many ways, your entire adult life had been about something bigger than yourself. And then all of a sudden, that day comes inevitably, you know, whether you're a, a young guy or gal and say you got your, your legs blown off after two years, like, guess what? You're out of the military or you'd been for 30 something years and, you know, you knew the end was imminent. Well, the result is the same. You're no longer in that team environment and they're getting back home and th their whole way that they identified with themselves and their whole way of life is different. Um, and what are you going to do now? And, you know, th that number of, of 22 a day is, is absolutely pretty accurate. Um, and I, I was researching a lot of these cases. And what was surprising to me was the overwhelming number, at least from what I saw, was not these horrific combat experiences where it was, you know, some dire circumstance. And it, that kind of struck me a little bit. Uh, but I started thinking a little deeper and going, well, I mean, what, what is it? Um, you know, I, I struggled with some bouts of depression and, uh, but I, I was like, okay, what, what's the deal? Um, and the biggest thing I could come up with is, you know, they were no longer in that, that team environment and they, they life was just different. Um, and they'd lost that sense of identity. And if you lose who you are as a whole, that's when things can start going down that, that wrong track. Um, and this, you know, idea of settling, well, I, I guess I just do this now, right? Um, it, it's really about going big again. And where if your dreams don't scare the crap out of you, then they're not big enough. You know, um, when um, I, I got an opportunity to go uh, speak to my uh, centennial 
uh, Bud's graduation class, mm -hmm. 321. I graduated 221 back in 98. And I didn't want to do the big, you know, uh, hoopla in front of the parents and all that. They had some, some great guys for that. Um, I said, Hey, I want to speak to the students behind closed doors, no instructors, no staff, no, no anything. They're like, all right. So they bring them in and you know, they do an intro on the pretty much like you did, like, Hey, here's this great guy. <laughs> um, but they're all sitting there wide eyed and I go, Hey, who, who here wanted me to seal when you're, you know, a, a young kid? A couple guys raised their hands. I, I point to one of them. I go, hey, how old are you now? He goes, 22, sir. I go, yeah, you know, people want to be a, a, a SEAL, an astronaut, a, a fighter pilot. I go, here you are, 22 years old, and you've achieved, achieved your dream in life. I, I got to ask you, what's next? And, you know, his head basically explodes. They're about to get pinned with their, their trident the next day. They were graduating SQT, uh, which is SEAL qualification training. They now get their, their trident right away after that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with that kind of stunned, stunned look of like, oh, crap. I go, hey, you guys are going to get a lot of advice. People are going to tell you to show up on time, you know, right gear and the right uniform. Great. You, you could do that for 20 years and you'll be a, you'll be a rock star. But... I asked myself, what's next? Like, okay, I'm a, I'm a team guy. So what? Well, now I want to be a sniper. Now I'm going to go to Afghanistan. Yeah. Now I want to be a chief. Now I want to go to the development group. Now I want to become a, a warrant officer. Now I want to become a, a CIA case officer. Now I want to do this, do that. You know, and, and the part I, I kind of left out was, well, now I want to take my kids skiing <laughs> after, you know, so many years of doing all this, but really, you know, what's that thing I, I don't know how to do and I'm, I'm probably going to fail at. Yep. That's for me. I mean, that is the essence of being a team guy. Um, that's how magnificent the challenge that we're undertaking was from the start, that feeling of, you know, I'm joining the Navy and going to do this. Well, yeah, I'm going to try. Um, it, you know, it, and it's pretty, it's pretty daunting um, of coming into it. So when you, you think back to something like that, and no matter what anyone's experience was of, of coming into the military and, all these challenges that they're taking on that responsibility and all these, you know, for our, our generation, all these wartime deployments and the things they're being asked of them. And now they're getting out and going to go do what, and, you know, I, I talked to a, a lot of veterans and I've been on a few interviews myself with things. And there's certain ways you, you feel like you almost get painted in a box of what, so what do you do? And, and they're looking for a certain program that you run or this or that. And it's just, you know, your experience is so, so wide and so vast that it, it's really tough to communicate. And, you know, you have the sense of, they just don't understand me. And I, I think a lot of veterans can get lost in that. So that's what our, in our program, um, some of what we do is to help translate uh, some of those skills and experiences to something that is, you know, um, uh, identifiable for them um, as an example. Um, I had a good friend. And I, I used this as part of our, our curriculum, so I can't claim this as, as I came up with it. But he goes, you know, the the military you can you can um, you can liken to a uh, you know a, a hockey team or a basketball team. There's there's not too much of a plan. You just know what you're supposed to do. We all have a common <laughs> goal, and you just go out there and do it, right? Because the corporate world really is not like that. It's more like a football team where they kind of have the huddle. They make this very specific plan, and they execute and just go go do it. 
Um, I, I just thought it was a pretty good parallel to like, yeah, yeah that kind of is that. Yeah. Um, I that a lot of veterans have, have excelled and done really well with um, small to mid-cap companies, something that's more the size of a high school. Uh, they're used to working these closer and more intimate teams. So that, that works out really well for them. Um, startups are really great too, where there's not one specific job. They, they need you to be that, that jack of all trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you hear about, you hear about uh, culture, you know, corporate culture. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's really not just a, a buzzword. And, um, you know, in, in designing our, our curriculum, I, I was really seeing the same two things in the nonprofit world. Um, as I was seeing in the corporate world, um, at least for some of these, you know, uh, retreats that they do and the experiences that they have. And on the one side of it, it was great content delivered poorly. This, this classroom based, um, you know, line items of here's what you put on your LinkedIn profile and don't forget to wear this color tie and don't forget to say this and, and all that. Um, it, you know, each line item arguably is really great, but just the way it's delivered, the veterans there, they're, they're kind of saturated with this style of delivery. Um, you know, maybe having to address some of the bigger items of, man, I'm, I'm getting out for one reason or, or the other. And, and what am I going to do with my life? Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, you have this really fun experiences, but with nothing behind it. So it's great that you took them hunting or fishing or off-roading, you know, the activity doesn't matter. Um, you know, Hey, you know, kudos for taking their, their mind off their problems for a few hours or, or such. Um, but when they get back home, they're kind of left with that same sad self that they, they had before. Um, so I, I believe that military mobility is unique in the fact that we've, we've bridged the gap with experiential learning, which is really how we, we, we learn in, in the military. It's, it's not just something that you're, you're led through. It's, it's something that you're driving through yourself and you're creating this experience yourself. Um, and, and that's, um, I think that's really special and unique. I, I think it is something that they identify with. Um, and then to tie it back to, to going through buds, you know, you, you go through as a class. Um, and that's why we, we refer to ourselves as a team guys. Cause you, you don't, yeah, you have to do a lot of stuff individually, but it really is the class and the dynamic of the class. Um, and I kind of thought that was all bullshit when I was going through as a student, but then as an instructor, you actually see it, it actually has a lot of merit and you see good classes and bad classes and, you know, classes who are more organized and they're just going to do better and, and maybe pay the man, you know, for the, the beatings and all the tough experiences they have to go through might be lessened a little bit just because their efficiencies and ability to impress. I mean, it, it's for real. So, um, yeah, being there, you know, it, it, um, being at Bud's as a young, young man, um, it, it, it's tough. I think a lot of people want to see, you know, you want to test yourself like any kid, maybe coming from a small town and, and see where you, you measure up. Um, for me, as you know, I'd mentioned playing hockey my whole life. Um, I loved it. Um, think I had the potential to maybe do something, go somewhere after high school playing with it. Um, had some offers, but I, I was kind of tired of, of playing a game um, and, and wanted to do something real, you know, uh, something that really had an effect in, in the world and changed in the world and, and that was going to be my way was, was to be a, a, a warrior. Um, and it's, it's just the path I kind of got led down. Um, you know, I have a lot of different passions. Um, and I think it's pretty rare that 
people can find their their gift in this this life. Um, but you know, like it or not, I was, I've, I've been pretty good at this type of stuff, and it came you know somewhat naturally to me. Not saying I bust my butt and, and work super hard for it, but it, it just fit that lifestyle. You know, having worn a lot of different hats and had a lot of different experiences. You know, different odd jobs here and there. Um, once I kind of came in there, you know, boot camp was crap. I think I gained like 20, 25 pounds. It's just lame. I was so disappointed. I thought I made the worst mistake in the world. Um, and a school apprenticeship school gives you just enough of a taste to go like, Hey, this is what the Navy might be like. Ugh. And when you showed up to buds, even though it's, it's tough, right. It's gruesome. You love it. It's one of that higher highs and lower lows. And I was like, okay, this, I, I found my people. Um, you know, a place I really belong. Um, so it's, but you know, it's a place, it's a measuring stick. Um, and it was, you know, you start making these friends and making these relationships. Um, and there was a lot of guys I'd look to for inspiration and motivation. And all of a sudden they, they quit. Um, and that was pretty crazy. Right. Um, and you know, you see these huge guys, big guys, they are, you know, built up football players and, you know, whispers about this guy played pro this and this guy's some kind of Ironman athlete. Um, and then, you know, the Ironman guy, all of a sudden he's, he's getting fed up at running in, you know, boots and long pants on the, the beach at four in the morning when it's the beach is sideways and there's kelp, you got to leap over and just all, you know, for me, it's just an average day. Like I'm, I'm a nobody from, from Jersey. Like I've never been given anything in my entire life. So might as well do it here <laughs> than anywhere else. Um, and, you know, the, the, the big guys can't climb over the walls. You don't got the, the stamina to run and end up being, you know, it was all no particular size or shape, but just a lot of guys kind of with like a, a surfer's build hanging out towards the end, um, which was, was pretty interesting. Um, but it, it, it was, it was, uh, it was awesome. I mean, probably the toughest thing I'd ever done at that point in time um, for me. Um, and, and there was times where, um, you know, I, I never thought of, of quitting to leave because I'm pretty stubborn. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something. I was expecting something completely different when I showed up. I think I was expecting some kind of, you know, high speed, super cool training, not this kind of, you know, you got to push your broom before you carry a gun type of thing. Um, and, and I I didn't realize probably at, the, at that point in time that, that Bud's serves two purposes. Um, one is to make you, you know, hard as a coffin nail. So you're not going to quit. And the other is to make you safe and trainable. Um, and it really just goes up from there. So I, I think I was already there with those qualities. Uh, most like a lot of, a lot of guys who were going to stick around. Um, but you know, you have to strip away a lot of the bullshit before you can move on. So that's part of the frustration is yeah, you're still putting the work in, but for all the frustrating events that they create, you know, on the inside, you're like, I know that I know this, come on, let's move on. But you gotta, you gotta wait and, and you know, just kind of put your head down and, and grind for a while. So, so where were you on nine 11? Um, I had a nine 11. I was with team four um, deployed down in South America. And that really had, um, that had changed everything. Yeah, for sure. Um, if um, you know, you think about post Vietnam to nine 11, there really was a, 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 in the SEAL teams at least, um, you know, a handful of guys on a handful of operations that were going on, you know, quote unquote, real world missions. Um, and 
9-11 changed things. You know, if, if a guy had been in a, in a, a gunfight, um, you know, whispers in the hallway, hitting your buddy, like, hey, hey, that's the guy. He's been on a, a real world mission. Um, and, you know, not being in the military before, you, you know, you watch movies and stuff. You don't know what's going on. You think stuff's going on all the time. And, you know, and training's super tough and you're still going on deployments and having adventures and all this and that. Um, but by and large, it was nothing to the scale when, you know, like 9-11 hits. And now you have a war on two fronts, you know. And um, I, I think guys were realizing a, a, a few things was, um, cool, I'm not a coward in battle. Um, yeah, I came, got to maybe put some notches on my belt or whatever kind of, you know, thing that they, they thought that experience that they wanted to have in the military. Um, you know, guys going, man, these, these wartime rules are, are ridiculous. You know, screw this. Um, Hey, I, I don't feel like dying at the hands of a 16 year old with an AK or, or something, or, Hey, um, you know, check that box. Want to go out and be with my family. Want to go make a million bucks. So the point is, you know, post Vietnam to 9-11, you, you basically had 20 years of, of people going, man, I'm kind of waiting for my chance to go to the show and, and go on these missions, right? And very few got to do it. So your retention was much higher. And, um, you know, then you get more action you could shake a stick at. Um, and guys are, you know, going through all these different emotions and experiences in a very short amount of time, you know, coming back from a, one deployment of just, I don't know, a grip, depending on what theater you're in, you know, 80, a hundred, whatever it's going to be. Um, and, and just hitting this kind of burnout cycle. So I think you saw a large number of, of guys getting out in that four to six or six to 10 year mark that may have stayed for an entire career before. Um, and that's where, when I was an instructor from 04 to 07, it was a, uh, presidential directive to, you know, quote unquote, grow more seals. Um, and, and they were looking at a very, you know, meaningful way of, you know, how we get more guys through without changing the training, all that, that, that stuff. Um, but it, it was, it was tough for, you know, each class roughly graduates on the average about 30 guys, um, five classes a year. So for that 150 new numbers that were coming in of brand new guys, we were actually at a loss for those few years meaning more guys were, were getting out or, you know, unfortunately some pass away or, you know, um, so that, that was, that was tough um, to keep that retention and you're losing all that experience. So really a, a lot of challenges um, came out of all that, that combat. And, and when we were instructors, it was tough because we're looking at these, you know, th these trainees within the confines of Naval Special Warfare Center. And it wasn't a, if it's a, when, I mean, they're, they're going to graduate, go through, you know, SEAL qualification training, and then they're going to go off and go on missions. Um, and, and you're looking at that and you're imagining yourself at that younger age or younger stage and going, oh, man, you know, like, I, I kind of had a, another, you know, platoon or two to, to, to kind of grow up, quote unquote, and just, you know, learn, learn the teams before we're getting after it. And we're looking at these people knowing how can we prepare them? Um, because, you know, we're really some of the first instructors to actually be getting gunfights and going on these ops and all that in that type of way on, on that scale. And, um, we go, well, we can make them hard. Uh, and that's exactly what we did. So they, um, you know, weren't doing anything that wasn't done to us, but we just kept tradition alive. And I, I think it's, it's really important, you know, and there was a lot of challenges 
for maybe what the senator is trying to do, you know, because they're, they're under some pressure to get the numbers up. Um, I, I've done some thinking about this and, you know, a, every warrior society could only be so far removed from the baseline of normal society. Meaning if, if we went on a mission today and I acted like it's the Peloponnesian war and I start chopping people's heads off, you're going to go, Hey, you're insane. You're going to prison for the rest of your life, you know? So as we have no cyberbullying, no child left behind, in its own way, things like that, you know, things are going to trickle down to our, you know, to the warrior society because we can, again, only be so far removed from the baseline of, of normal society. And that might lead to some of the, you know, strange rules that are in the, in the military from time to time um, that feels like it's preventing you from actually being able to, to do your job. And I think a lot of people hit a, hit a breaking point with that sometimes. Um, and that, that leads into, you know, some of the, the stress disorders um, as well. Um, I've noticed is um, some of the issues that some people maybe take home with themselves. Um, it's, um, it, it can be from an action that was done. It, it could be from an inaction. Maybe they, they failed to do something that would have saved the lives of, of others, whether civilian or, or military. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it, it's all about where your moral compass is. Everyone has a certain moral compass and how they view the world and their own particular beliefs. Um, and you might be asked to do things or just be put in a situation that calls for something that might have been outside or really stretches the bounds of that, that moral compass. Um, and it's how that sits with you afterwards um, can really can really affect you. Um, you know, it, so certain things could be completely legal and right and just and all that. But if it's just not sitting right with you and you're just not okay with it um, and it might not come up for, for years for, uh, for some of these people. Um, and that, that's part of, of, of dealing with moving forward and reconciling a lot of that, uh, the, the past and those experiences for, for what they were and, and you know, um, who you were at that point in time and doing what was called upon for your, your service um, you know, and, and a lot of people say, thank you for your service. And I, I really do appreciate it. Um, for myself, I think for a lot of others, it doesn't and didn't feel like service. If your, if your job is something that you're passionate about, it, it's not a job at all, right? It doesn't feel like work, regardless of all the time spent away and the long deployments, you know, time away from family and friends and, and all the, the hardships and the harsh environment and the, you know, all the, the dangerous things that you're doing doesn't feel like work at all. And it really sounds crazy that I don't feel like I worked for 22 and a half years. I, I didn't feel like I had a job. It was amazing. I got paid. I almost, you know, I feel like I would have paid to be able to do that, to be right. around that caliber of people uh, is so amazing. You know, you're living the dream. Um, and then, you know, for one reason or another, I, I've had a, a bunch of injuries. Um, you know, I've had three spinal surgeries and, Shoulders worked on five operations on my head and, you know, uh, traumatic brain injuries, you know, meningitis, cellulitis. I got uh, Lyme's disease when I was in sniper school. Um, I've had both my lower legs ripped open for compartment syndrome. Um, so you know, the list goes on. Um, so that was just starting to add up. And I like to believe I, I could still rise to the challenge, um, but it was taxing me like, like never before. Um, in, in its own way, you know, you kind of feel like you're breathing through a straw, um, after a certain amount of time.
Um, and then, you know, I, I have a family now married with, with kids and all that, uh, and, and some other things start to become important. Um, so it, as you add all this up on the grand scheme of things, um, and as I'd like to, to share with others, I go, if, if you're past all the reasons why you, you joined the military, and if you're past all the reasons you reinvented for yourself to stay in the military, because that is the majority of things, right? There's always these new challenges. And while you can never do it all, I've, I've done a lot. And I think a lot of other folks have, have done a lot. You know, military experiences may vary to each their own. Um, but then when you start looking and going, okay, I actually have some new goals and new challenges and new priorities in my life, you know, children and, and all that, um, while always important, you know, there's this other vital need of, 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 of the job for a while. Um, but after a certain amount of time, um, and, and for me, um, I've had two of my friends from my, my teams, uh, commit suicide. And, um, the, the last one really was, um, the deciding factor in my, uh, you know, retiring. My wife and I went to the, the service and, um, took my oldest boy. He was just old enough that, um, you know, as sad of an experience as that is, I wanted him to be a, a part of that to see um, what that's about. Um, and my wife and I were, were holding hands and, um, you know, walked out in the parking lot afterwards and, and she's awesome. You know, she's not telling me anything. She kind of put her head up to this guy. She's like, I think we're done. And I was like, yeah, I think so. It, it, there was just so many things about his story and everything that were, were hitting so close to home. Uh, it was almost scary in a, in a way. Um, so, um, it, it, you know, and, and I had some old, older guys tell me, hey, don't, you know, don't, don't push things too far. Um, you know, all the year, you know, being at the, the command, you're a lot of years consecutively. My wife has the numbers down, you know, 314 days gone this year and 302 days gone this year consecutively just not around whatsoever, um, all starts to add up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to see some people have kind of lost their families because of that, of just pushing it a bit too hard. Um, I think maybe sometimes it feels like you're leaving a little something on the table um, in, the, in the name of, of safety for that. But um, I, for me personally, I'm, I'm feeling like I definitely made the right decision. Um, and I've been staying so occupied since getting out. You know, I started military mobility in 2017 uh, I had, had a, a great opportunity as I commissioned as a warrant officer. Um, I, I was out of command and I, I got the opportunity to go to graduate school. So I got my MBA from the University of Virginia, Darden School of Business. And um, this was my capstone project. And I was really smashing together a, a bunch of different things about, okay, you know, I, I, you know, a, a bit of a, a survivor's guilt of why am I here while, you know, so many of my, my buddies aren't anymore. Um, and, and what's my purpose, you know, that, that why me, um, and not to sound too cheesy, but you know, in the native American cultures, a lot of the, the fine warriors became healers in the later on stages of their, um, their life cycle. Um, and I'm feeling like that's a bit of, a bit of my purpose. Um, and you know, after all this time, like, you know, you get reputation, respect and notoriety and people are coming to you for advice. I mean, that's how I identify with myself. Right. Um, and you need to make those those qualities of how you identify with yourself permanent. Because if I go, hey, I'm a Navy SEAL, well, guess what? I'm I'm not anymore, right? So if that's the way I, I see myself, then I'm going to be lost in life, and that's going to lead to some problems. Um, but if I go, hey, I'm I'm steadfast, I'm loyal, I'm determined. Okay, well, we can apply these things to anything, right? So your what can be can be anything. 
Um, so I, I kind of smashed that together. Um, again, that experiential human beings are creatures of habit. You drive the same roads home, you park in the same driveway, walk up the same stairs, you think the same thoughts. Um, so to create new habits for health and wellness for anything, you know, get, we have to rip you out physically, rip you out of that, that environment. So, um, we run our courses in, in really austere locations, Moab, the Rubicon Trail, uh, and multi-day, right? Because we want to have some time to, to impl- implement that. Um, and we have themes to each day. Um, most of our courses are around five days long. Um, trust, team building, operations management, leadership, and strategy. Um, lightly on there because no one wants anything rammed down their throat. Um, you know, our, our classroom is the outdoors. So um, guys and gals show up and, and they're given roles and responsibilities of, hey, today you're the team lead, you're navigation, supply, logistics. Um, and they're giving these um, taskings and it's, you know, it creates this, you know, massive opportunities for all this transformational growth um, and where you're literally overcoming obstacles. Um, I, I talked to some folks about our, our curriculum um, you know, vehicles are very relatable because nearly everybody gets behind the, the wheel of a vehicle every single day. So what you think is possible in the vehicle is, is kind of a known quantity. So if you came out, Mark, and I'm like, Hey, go over this thing. You're like, I can't do that. But you know, guess what? With a little bit of training, you, you can. So it kind of begs this uh, response of, well, you know, what else might be possible now? And, you know, as you're going over, you're getting, white knuckled, a little nervous. You don't want to roll this thing in the ravine or, or destroy the truck. And when you get off, there's this kind of moment of elation. You kind of come off the backside of it. It's like, whew, kind of let your hair down. But then there's another obstacle and another obstacle. You're, you're doing reps, you're doing a workout. Um, and then, you know, hanging around the campfire at night, we're rolling some of this stuff around at a high level um, really helps to solidify and, and drive some of these points home. Um, and, and, one thing I'm doing and bringing the, the veterans out to the course, and they could be both active duty and, and retired, um, is I'm leveraging the fact that a veteran's usually okay with letting themselves down, but they don't want to let down the team. Right. Um, and uh, so, you know, some guys might be hitting the bottle pretty hard and it's going, hey, man, Moab's pretty hot out this time of year. Why don't you cut back and booze a little bit? You know, don't want you to become a heat casualty. And they're like, all right. You know, it, it they're being given a, a great opportunity with this, with this course. And I think most of them realize that um, and they, they get out there and, and kind of, of, of get it. You know, it's, it's more about, you know, building themselves up of, uh, you know, and we draw a lot of parallels with the vehicles. Um, I go, Hey guys, these, these vehicles are, they're old, they're beaten up, but they're proven a lot like you, you know, it's regular maintenance that lets these things keep on, you know, moving on. Uh, you know, if you let the rust build up too much, it, it gets to be detrimental. And I think that's a lot of uh, rust or residue, as, as some, a couple of my friends have called it. Um, I think that's a lot of this PTSD-esque built up stuff where it's just, you know, we're not in this team environment. We're not doing these things anymore. And a lot of these PTSD symptoms come in and just perfectly fill the void somehow because um, we're all kind of on our own. And, you know, you need to find these new lives and, and and find a way to fit into it. Yeah. So that's the idea for military mobility and how it came about. So where is it now and, and what's the goals for the future? Right. Um, so uh, COVID slowed things down, as I'm sure for most people. 
uh, didn't slow us down too much because what was I perceived as a, a, a fault or a weakness, and originally we're, we're very small scale. We're not this huge organization. Um, and I, I don't want to grow it to become a huge, you know, we have, we want to get bigger, but to a certain extent, um, people at grad school looked at me like I was crazy. We're doing a, some kind of business case on this big thing and, you know, everything and the corporate world, bigger, faster, stronger, like, you know, taking over and ruling the earth. I go, Hey, is there, how about if you just want to grow something to a certain point and sustain that? And everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. Uh, but we have, we have very small numbers at our, at, at our, uh, Camps, you know, six to 12 people generally don't go over 12 veterans plus, you know, um, some more for staff. Um, very intimate experience. My whole thing is, is creating, and I'll tell you selfishly, almost as much for me, man, a genuine experience, you know. Um, and I think we can only really do that with, with small numbers. So I'm okay with, with not being able to brag about these massive numbers of people coming through. Um, I, I talked with a, uh, Another nonprofit, great organization, CEO, and they kind of scoffed at, you know, we're smaller. I go, oh, how many people do you affect? And they, they named the number, but their, their events were like four hours long. I was like, oh, well, I have one person for five days, 24 hours a day. So my one person times six times five is like, oh, we actually are affecting the same amount of people. Um, so uh, we typically run about three to five courses a year, depending on funding. I'm, I'm looking to, I'd like to, to grow to, to, to double that. Um, and, uh, mainly we're, we're out in Moab, Rubicon Trail, as I said, we're starting to run some courses in Virginia and Tennessee and, uh, creating, uh, a few different chapters right now. Um, in Virginia beach, we have a really strong, uh, presence out there, um, moving to Florida. Um, so we have, we have some great ideas and working with some great organizations, Killcliff, uh, and let me say Killcliff CBD, and this is not because Killcliff's helping us out. Um, me with all my spinal injuries and all this stuff, man, my body, I'm moving around better than, than I have been in a really long time. And I, I definitely attribute it to that. Um, I, I always heard about CBD and wanted to try it, but you know, we, in the military, I wasn't going to do anything to risk my retirement and all that. Cause mm-hmm. you're not allowed to, right. um, I have been taking it now for just a couple months and it, it's not this, you know, miracle kind of cure all. Like I feel like I'm 20 years old again. Um, but I really feel good. I started noticing myself moving around more and, and doing some more activity and, and working out just a little bit harder than I could. And I've really attributed it to that. Um, so they got some, some great scientists there working on all that stuff. Um, another organization I really want to point out is, is Jeep Jamboree USA. They're huge sponsors of ours. Um, they're platinum club members. They make a, a sizable donation to us each year. Um, they're a great organization. Um, they, they really believe in us and what we're doing to help veterans and and suicide prevention. So, um, yeah, I can't, can't say enough about them, uh, as well. We, uh, we hit trade shows every year. You know, it's been slowing down. We have Easter Jeep Safari, um, coming up here in April. I think it's on the fence, whether or not it's going to, going to happen or not. Um, and then we've, you know, been engaging in very small groups with people. Um, and we'll do, uh, corporate trips where if a, uh, a corporate company wants to do a donation, you know, sizable donation, um, we can, put on some corporate, uh, you know, retreat and training for them as well. So they get a really cool experience out of that. Um, and then we're now this spring going to have an offering for civilians, um, which is uh, a really great and meaningful way that they can be a part of something too and helping, um, you know, with, with uh, 
all their their proceeds will go towards the veteran only courses, which will always remain the the meat of what we're what we're doing. Um, I, I was always thinking I was going, man, like you know, the biggest thing for for fundraising, which I suck at, and um, I'm surrounding myself with people a lot better than me. Um, my kind of joke is for you know twenty something years, I've never had to you walk in theater and they go, who are you? It, it's usually thank God you're here. We have more work than you can handle, you know, like better or worse. That's mm-hmm. how we're kind of used to responded to. So this whole idea of just the salesmanship of everything is, is really strange and, and foreign to me. Um, I really don't like it or, um, you know, am, am skilled at it. I just kind of want to do the work, you know, I'm great at devising curriculum and, and running the courses and all that. So I'm, I'm you know, are, thankfully we have some really great team members helping us out with that. Um, and, uh, but you know, I was looking at golf tournaments and going like, why is that so big a thing? But it's great. Cause they actually get to do an activity. They're coming together. There's some camaraderie, right. And it's all in the name of a good cause. So, um, we're, uh, we're going to be creating some courses where a lot of these overlanders and off-roaders can come bring their own vehicles, um, uh, and, and come on our adventures with us, um, which is much more than a basic trail ride. Then you're kind of following the guy in, in, in front of you, right. Um, to be called upon and to be needed. That's most of the times when we share any experience, whether it's a wartime experience or anything, it's, yeah, we were there and, you know, the wind was blowing and the axle broke and started getting dark and we had to figure this thing out. You know, it's, it, it's not when everything goes right that you tell the stories about. It's when something goes wrong. Um, and, you know, much I, I've served as the training officer at several different teams and all that. Um, but to know how to manufacture that, you know, on a budget, on a timeline to create these aha moments and that desired end state, um, we're, we're great at it. So we're now sharing that experience with, with civilians as well. So that's going to be fun. That's pretty awesome, man. I mean, really, it's, uh, it's an absolutely amazing foundation, uh, and it certainly is something that really strikes at the heart of what uh, you know, veterans are dealing with and how they get uh, through all these tough times. Again, it's militarymobility.com uh, is the website to go to. And certainly, Rib, I mean, we appreciate everything uh, that you've been able to share with us, uh, you know, all your focus and drive and your post-military career. And I uh, certainly appreciate you guys spending some time with us. And uh, we look forward to uh, more great things from military mobility. But certainly thank you for being part of the Hazard Ground. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. You've been listening to the Hazard Ground podcast, hosted by Mark Zeno. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at producer at hazardground.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.